This is Outside the Boxes, where we explore the labels, boxes and stereotypes we're all forced into. Hello, thank you for listening to Outside the Boxes so far and joining me on this journey. We are the newest kids on the block and we are still finding our feet, but we have some great plans for the coming episodes. I hope you will stick around. So um, I will start with a couple of parenting dilemmas and questions as some of the parents have been discussing in my Raising Feminist group on Facebook. Are you part of it? If not, perhaps you'd like to check it out. So the first question we were talking about was, should I call my daughter pretty? I asked people on Instagram whether they should call their daughter or would call their daughter or any other girl that they meet pretty. And the results were interesting. 68% of the 45 who responded said that yes, they would. There's nothing wrong with it. And I do agree to a certain extent. However, and this is a big however, I think that we need to move beyond this word. When we call our girls pretty, Oh, look how pretty you are. Or when we meet a friend's daughter, wow, you're a pretty girl. Then we are giving a message that this is the first thing that we notice about them. We are giving them a message that this defines their self-worth and that being pretty is what makes them noticeable. Instead, why not just ask them what they're reading, what they're interested in, what are their hobbies? Appreciate and praise them for being smart, clever, finding innovative solutions to problems, solving something, showing initiative. This gives them a message that their value isn't in something that is fixed. So I would love to hear your comments and thoughts on it. Why not send us a message or leave some comments on it? And if you love this uh, podcast so far, why not share it, subscribe to it and share it with people that you think might be interested in it as well. Also, I just want to remind you that my feminist parenting course is still open and there are some places still available. It's shaping out to be a really lovely, lovely group of parents so far and I'm really excited about it. If you haven't seen it, look back to our previous episode of this podcast and there is actually an exclusive discount code that you can use as well. I think the struggle for equality, the fight for equality has to start at home from a very, very young age. So I hope you can join me. So today in this third episode, I want to talk about courage, about being fearless. I was listening to Brené Brown on Netflix yesterday. Yes, hoo-hoo. She's amazing, isn't she? I find so many parallels in her life and mine, in her academic background and in her stationary craft supplies addiction. And the way she talks about vulnerability and courage and shame. It was so funny listening to her talk about how she hid herself, scared of playing big, stepping out in the big arena and her reaction to her first TEDx talk in Houston. When I did my TEDx talk in Warwick last year, there must have been around 1,500 to 2,000 people in the audience. And I shared my story and experiences in a very vulnerable and honest way, rather than falling back on my usual academic armor, data and facts. It was raw and honest. And then I went into a spiral as I drove back. Similar to Brené, I felt that it was the worst 20 minutes of my life. When the talk went up on YouTube, rather than celebrating and sharing it with anyone, I buried it deep. I didn't even share it with anybody. I was so ashamed of how awful it was. And yes, that is where the parallel stopped. My talk didn't go viral. It has only been watched by perhaps 1,800 or 2,000 people. I don't think anybody from my family has even watched it. But when I started getting emails telling me how much someone had loved the talk and how much it had resonated with them, I felt surprised. 
They talked about my courage, but I didn't feel like that myself. When people told me that I'm fearless, why did I find it so difficult to believe them? None of us are fearless, really. I'm afraid of heights. There, I've said it. I'm also afraid of the dark. It is embarrassing to admit, and there's that shame again that Brené talked about. But when my husband isn't home, and when it's just me, I sleep with the lights on. I do have a very active imagination, always have been, and every little sound takes on a life of its own. So now I've admitted to something and been vulnerable with you. Here's your opportunity. What would you like to admit to? Something that you have kept close to your heart and something that you're ashamed or embarrassed of. Why not leave a comment? Share it with me. Send it message. So yes, you might say that I'm not completely fearless. When my 15-year-old daughter jumped off the highest bridge in the UK to raise money for charity, actually I was really surprised to find out it was in Middlesbrough. For some reason I didn't expect that. But she stood up there and I stood down there. <laughs> I didn't go up there. And I stood, looked up to that very, very high metal bridge and I saw her fearlessly throw herself off it. I felt nauseous and then I vomited on the side. It was in my proudest moment. I was a shy, introverted girl growing up in a small town in India. I didn't think that I was brave. No, I never thought that I had inside me to do the amazing things I saw Bollywood heroes and occasionally heroines do on screen. I didn't think I had it in me. And then I became a mother and I've talked about it. And I was pregnant and I found myself alone and in the hospital at 22 weeks. I needed to keep this child alive. I had to lie there still on my back for the next, however, months and weeks until it was safe to have a C-section, take so many injections, all that prodding and poking, tests, oxygen, additional supplements, all needed just to keep that baby alive and thriving. I found some incredible inner strength for the first time in my life. I was fearless and it was all directed by my fear for my unborn child who I already loved with all my heart. I could feel her moving inside me. I could feel her heartbeat in sync with mine. And although I hadn't wanted her at that point in my life, I was only young. I had fallen desperately and hopelessly in love with her. The moment that I had seen the little seed on screen and I had to keep her safe, I didn't know that I had so much resilience. I will keep you safe, I had promised silently to her as I lie there alone in the dark in terrible pain and agony. And so my fearlessness came from my deepest fear. That fear had made me brave for the first time. I wonder if we only realize what we are capable of when we are most broken, when we are pushed to our limits. We are all brought up on daily dose of courage, with stories and tales of the cowardly lion and the wizard of Oz who finds the courage to face the witch, to David battling Goliath in the Bible, to Star Wars and to Harry Potter, and children are raised on a diet of heroic and inspirational tales. But all these have also shown that the bravest aren't the strongest, or the tallest, or the biggest. How does one become fearless? Are we born unafraid? I suppose some are. I see one of my three-year-old twins. She has no sense of danger. She finds the highest things to climb and throws herself off things when no one is looking. I'm constantly afraid for her. And yes, I live in fear as a parent. If you're a parent, you would probably understand the fear that you always carry with you. That sometimes hits you at the odd times during the night when you lie there frozen with fear for your child, hoping that they're safe, crossing your fingers that they will always be safe. Does anybody else know this feeling? Or maybe just it's just me. So going back to that moment 20 years ago when I was just half the age of what I am now, I was back in the hospital when she was merely 10 days old. 
I hemorrhaged and I had to be rushed to the hospital, having already lost five units of blood. <sighs> Ten more minutes and I would have been dead, they told me. I couldn't die or thought. I have this little baby to bring up. She was relying on me. I had to make a life for ourselves, give her the best of everything. And that made me determined and fearless. It is when we care, really care so much that we find our inner strength. Our courage also comes from our deepest love and our passion. I remember the day I stepped on the plane to travel to the UK to take up my postgraduate scholarship here, leaving that little baby behind with my parents. I sometimes look back and wonder if it was too easy for me to do it. It doesn't seem like it. I cried every single night as I thought of her. Sometimes I wonder if I was, if I was being brave or just stupid. Or was I merely running away from something? There wasn't a single moment as I went through my life here in this strange country with cold wind and a cold permeating my whole being that I didn't think of her. I did my PhD, raised her as a single parent, juggling, balancing, scrabbling, working until late at night, trying to make every school drop off and pick up and every activity and every school play and concert and swimming lesson after school. This is what I had to do. I didn't think of whether I had a choice. Sometimes I talk to people who knew me when I was 18 or 19 and they tell me I'm not the same person. Have I changed or have I just discovered my true self? Fast forward a few years, I climbed up the academic ladder while trying to be a super mom and I was severely burnt out. I also suffered workplace bullying that took me completely by surprise. I believed bullying happened in playgrounds. I believed that most, if not all, bullying is done by men. I also believed that bullying only happened to weak people. This was until it happened to me. So many of my naive and ill-informed assumptions were shattered. I was bullied by a female colleague, a person in authority, a person who was meant to mentor and guide me. I was in such a senior position that I felt ashamed to acknowledge it. I felt belittled and humiliated. It left me severely depressed with anxiety that still affects me after so many years. It caused severe emotional trauma that continues to affect my physical health. It had drastic consequences for my fertility. It took me several months to recognize the signs and acknowledge it. I didn't mention it to many people, but it made me more and more miserable. Increasingly worried and anxious about going into work and just unsure of my own abilities. Those close to me that I mentioned it in passing often tried to reassure me by reminding me that she was actually a nice person or maybe there was some truth in what she had said. Not very helpful. I heard a lot of things from people like I'm sure that she doesn't mean it. Hopefully you're just overreacting. Stick with it, it'll get better. I came through it somehow, but it left me bruised and battered. I still have social anxiety and often I do not trust people, although it's getting much better. I used to have a strong faith in my judgment of situations and of people. I forced and retaught myself to trust again. But I still question my instincts. Looking back, I wish I'd known that I was not imagining it. I had done nothing wrong. Even if I couldn't prove it, it doesn't mean that it wasn't happening. It can happen to strong people and brave people and courageous people. And I think that is something that I really want to remember from that episode. When something like this happens, it knocks your whole sense of identity and self-worth. How does one recover from it? 
What helped me was going back to finding the core of what made me. What was me? I had to really dig deep and really think about how I wanted to define myself. And also, I've talked about it before, what really helped me was creativity. Yes, creativity helped me find and rediscover my inner strength, courage and confidence. I didn't set to use art as an, or creativity as a healing mechanism. But when I reflected on it, I realized how much it helped me find peace and calm. When I was working on a creative project, whatever form it might have taken, I'm fully immersed in it. And it's the best mindful technique that I would recommend. But it isn't just art and creativity in the very traditional sense, like sketching or drawing or painting, but creative thinking, thinking outside the box. I tapped deep inside and I figured out what I love doing. We are so stuck to labels sometimes that define us. I was an academic through and through, and that is what I'd always been. And it took so much courage to step outside that label and say that, okay, what is it about the academic life that I enjoy most? What is my strength and what is my weakness? And it might mean or feel like we are reinventing ourselves, that we are fickle and we are not sticking to one thing. But if we believe in what we are doing, that it does not matter what others say. My father, for instance, would say things like, oh, is this what you did your PhD for and worked so hard for? Are you going to just leave academia? But I stuck with it but because I really believed in what I wanted to do. And then slowly it felt like I was finding the courage to find my voice. I had been so molded as an academic, relying solely on facts and evidence that I hadn't dared to step outside and express my opinions and my feelings and my thoughts on issues that concern me and that matter to me. We all do this. It's the most vulnerable position to be in. When we are writing something that's personal to us, then all the worries rear their head. When we are creating something that we really feel strongly about, it's putting a part of ourselves out there. What if somebody thinks that this is stupid? It would hurt. When I write academic research papers and books, yes, it hurts when you send it out to reviewers and they don't get it. It didn't happen to me much, but yes, when a grant application is rejected or a paper isn't received as well, then somehow it is easier to take it because it's not as personal. But when you're writing something like an opinion piece for a newspaper article or for your blog page or just even creating a photograph, taking a photograph and putting it out on social media, something that's really deeply personal to you, an art piece that you've created, not for a client, but for yourself, then this comments, any comments or any criticism really hurt. <laughs> Why don't you just go back to where you come from? was the first comment I read on my article in The Independent on microaggressions and aversive racism. I had written something about how making fun of people's accents, it can be taken as banter, but these banter can be a form of microaggressions. And I write a lot about these unconscious biases and microaggressions about how these little things, seemingly little things and seemingly little jokes and banter and humor can also other people, they make, make themselves feel, make them feel othered like they don't belong. So this is the first comment I read on it. It really hurt. It really hurt. But I take solace again from Brenny's words. I'm not going to worry about those who haven't put themselves out bravely in the big arena, who aren't stepping out fearlessly but hiding behind an anonymous message and insult that they can hurl so easily at someone online. These are not the people I worried about. So I continue to write and speak about things I really care about. 
even if somebody's not hearing, listening to me. I stepped out at TEDx Jaipur recently to talk about patriarchy and toxic masculinity. And I knew that most in the audience were men and that it's a still a very traditional place seeped deeply in these kind of patriarchal structures. It was scary and it was vulnerable as a woman to step out and share my experiences of misogyny, shame, hurt and tell those men that they need to examine their biases and change. I don't know how I did it. That morning I actually had food poisoning and I was terrified to actually go out there and speak in front of these people. For some reason it mattered so much. Somehow speaking out in front of the people in the country where I was born and grew up in was more terrifying than the 1500 people at TEDx Warwick. But I care about gender equality passionately and so I found my courage. I wasn't fearless. I was vulnerable. I was afraid. I was scared and I dared to step up. So similarly, going back to creativity, it doesn't matter if you think that you're creative or not. It's about finding a place for yourself and time to let ideas flow, whether you're writing, painting, knitting or sketching. This is a time when you can find time just for yourself and your whole body relaxes. I find that my breathing is more controlled and regulated and my heart rate is at a moderate pace. Mental health is something we still do not fully acknowledge, understand or discuss. It is still something that we ignore, stigmatize and brush away. Assigning such a broad term to what is a complex spectrum of triggers, symptoms and consequences is not helpful either. What is certainly helpful is that there has been much progress made in the last couple of years or so. It has also made people realize that it's okay to see, seek help. It is perfectly fine to speak out when things are not good. And it is neither pathetic nor a sign of weakness to ask for help. We're also realizing that it's extremely important to look after ourselves. So going back to talking about asking for help. I think for a long time I thought that it was a sign of weakness. If I asked for help, I wasn't being strong enough. I had to do everything myself. I had to manage everything myself. If I showed any kind of chink in my armor, then I'm not a superhuman being. But again, I think asking for help is a really courageous and brave thing to do. Showing somebody that you're vulnerable, showing something that you are, you cannot do it all, showing somebody that you need help is a really brave and courageous thing to do. Today on Twitter, actually, there was an interesting discussion. Somebody had posted something about how men or husbands or partners are not allowed to stay in maternity wards from the day the baby is born. And there was a discussion about how men should be allowed to share that experience and women need to be supported from day one and they need a support and that fathers, if they're around, should be allowed to stay and bond with the child. And there was somebody who was really vehemently opposed to this. They were making a point that you've had a baby, not had your legs cut, which I found a really strange thing to say. They're saying, you're having a baby. It's a normal thing to have happened. Come on, you, you're strong. And you're, you, when you're a mother, you should be prepared to bear all this alone. And you shouldn't need to ask for help. And you have to do it alone. You don't need to, to have your husband there or, or the father of the baby there or your partner there. And I was just completely baffled. And just this is, this is what perpetuates the myth that mothers, especially, they don't need to ask for help. That babies, having a family is a woman thing and that a woman can manage it all. 
that if she asks for help if she says that she cannot do it all she's somehow being a bad parent or a bad mother and i i know that this myth is perpetuated through these words and images that we see around us and these discussions that we have and then when a person or a woman cannot do it all then she feels guilty about being a bad mother and this guilt of motherhood this motherhood being trying to be a martyr i've lived through that experience and now i've realized that self care is not selfish on the contrary when i ask for help when i say that i need some time for myself i need to step away from the the children and the noise that's overwhelming him i think it's a selfless thing to do as we cannot look after others unless and until we take measures to look after our mental well-being every day and it's okay to say i cannot do it all right now i'm not happy doing this or right now i'm not feeling well enough to do this it doesn't make me a weak person so creativity is one such way in which we can create a happier and more fulfilled life it is a form of mindfulness as engaging in some form of creative activity creates focus and it's been proven by scientific research it creates a state of flow which is a complete immersiveness in an activity and results in a state of clarity and a sense of serenity a recent research study also showed that creativity creates happiness and a higher positive effect the study also find, found out that the participants were more energetic the day after having carried out a creative activity and it was like a domino effect inspiring more creativity there is definitely a case for incorporating creativity in daily lives as a way to look after our mental health and well-being but it takes courage to be creative to take that leap of faith i love this from the hobbit go back he thought no good at all go sideways impossible go forward only thing to do on we go so up he got and trotted along with his little sword held in front of him and one hand feeling the wall and his heart all of a patter and a pitter yes sometimes our heart might be in a pitter and a patter and really beating really really fast but we can be creative or we can be courageous we can take that leap of faith so what exactly is creativity creativity is typically defined as the ability to come up with new and useful ideas explains roger beatty uh, an, uh, an author so for example when a subject is shown a sock a common and uncreative response is that you can warm your feet while her novel and a highly ranked response could be that it, you can use the sock as a water filtration system so a sock is something that we all know and lose every day I don't know where they all go. There must be a place in my house at least where all the socks have collected together. If I gave you 5 minutes, could you come up with 10 uses for a sock? Let's hear them then. So going back to courage and bravery and just trying to bring together all my disparate thoughts in this episode. Do we really know when we are being brave and fearless? I don't think we do. I think we are bravest when we just jump with both feet without a thought for the consequences when we trust our instincts and when we are ready to make mistakes I hadn't climbed any mountains or done any marathons but I feel like I'm brave I feel like I take risks I feel like I make mistakes but then I learn from my mistakes and I feel like I show vulnerability and I feel like I am brave enough to put myself out there in the big arena with the big players putting my feelings honestly and openly in front of people as well 
but we all do it on our own terms and i think that is really important about being brave and honest and open we have to do it on our own terms i think really true is sometimes courage comes from believing in something like really believing and caring so when i really really believe in something even when people around me don't think that it's a great idea i actually am quite brave enough to put it out there to write about it to express my opinion to create something so i have to believe in something and i think it's really important to do that but do you know what i've realized that bravery is in the little acts of courage that we do every day as brene said our courage comes from our vulnerability Every day we step outside of our comfort zone outside our cozy boxes that we are being brave even if it's just standing in front of a large group of strangers and talking to them about my experiences and showing vulnerability and our deepest darkest fears or even just buying a different brand of mayonnaise in the supermarket that's going outside the norm that's taking a risk As Mary Ann Radmacher said, courage do- doesn't always roar. Sometimes courage is the little voice at the end of the day that says, "I'll try again tomorrow." Vulnerability minus boundaries is not vulnerability. It's measured by the amount of courage it took. So winning is doing the brave thing. He has to us being vulnerable and brave and winning by doing the brave thing. If you enjoyed this podcast, Do send me your comments, do send me your message. It'd be lovely to hear from you. Subscribe to it, share it, give us a review. Just stick around. And what would you like to hear more of? Let us know. Thank you for listening to Outside the Boxes. Please check out the Feminist Parenting course with the link in the show notes or by searching Raising Feminist Children course in Google. Sign up using the exclusive code FEMPARENT, F E M P A R E N T. for a discount.